Hi, everyone. Anne Louise Gittleman here for the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And today we're going to be talking about the world's first cold brew crystallized tea, which is the world's healthiest tea called peak tea. And my guest today is Simon Chang. Simon, how are you? I'm doing great, Anne. It's really, really great to be here. Well, I'm so delighted that you're the founder and CEO of Peak Tea, but my question to you is, why is this tea different than any other tea, my friend? Well, there are a couple of reasons, and uh, the first one is that we start with loose leaf tea, which is a very high quality form of tea, and it has concentrated active ingredients like polyphenols, antioxidants, um, as our raw materials. So our tea crystals have a concentrated um, active ingredient profile. The second thing is its level of purity. Um, so heavy metals, uh, pesticides, toxic mold, fluoride, these are things that we screen for. I know that you're very um, concerned about fluoride. And so, you know, we strongly believe that tea, in order to reap its health benefits, as I'm sure you've um, completely educated your, your audience on, is, is requires regular drinking. You can't just have a cup of tea a month and say, oh, you know, I'm a tea drinker and I'm healthy. And, you know, I'm getting all these wonderful antioxidants. In fact, in all tea drinking cultures, they're drinking it every day, a couple times a day. And you really want the absolute most pure thing you can have for your body because all these nasties, um, toxic mold fluoride, they can accumulate to harmful levels. And the third thing is really the accessibility of it. Um, a lot of people struggle with tea because they think it doesn't taste good. It's difficult to brew. The tea bag's a pain to dispose of. And, you know, ultimately loose leaf tea is what gives you that flavor, that delicious um, flavor, as well as the, the active ingredients. But it's even more of a headache because you need a strainer and the brewing time becomes very important. And so we try to, you know, basically eliminate all of that. Um, so all you have to do is add these crystals into cold or hot water. It instantly dissolves. It delivers the, the purity, the, the active ingredients, um, and it also delivers the flavor. So we won three gold medals at the Global Tea Championships out of three submissions. It was the first time in history um, that a company was awarded three gold medals. And this is against, by the way, not other tea crystals because there aren't any. We're the, you know, basically the, the tea crystal innovator um, and trailblazer, but it was actually against other leading teas around the world. So the, the best wow. teas around the world were submitted and we won three gold medals. So congratulations to you. You know, I'm drinking, you. I'm drinking some of your peak tea crystals now as we speak. I'm drinking the electric turmeric. And oh, wonderful. I love the electric turmeric. And what I noticed is you, you wrote something on the book that I thought was very innovative. You say that herbal plants supported my well-being and supercharged my soul. It is now my mission to help everyone unlock their benefits and unleash our collective potential. So so you obviously had a health history which propelled you into this direction. Do you want to share that with my listeners? Yes, I'd be happy to do that. Um, so I, I grew up. I grew up in Hong Kong. Um, you know, I'm 42 years old this year, and you know, I was raised at a time when you know my parents and my grandparents they would say, you know, if there's something wrong with you, go and see the doctor, take everything that they prescribe, and, and you'll be fine. And so for 10 years in my 20s, um, I was working in the financial industry at a hedge fund and leading a very, very fast paced life, you know, making a lot of money, getting very little fulfillment um, from my work and, and really just kind of brutalizing my health. Every year I got different um, respiratory infections. It would start with my nose, travel to my throat, end up in my lungs. Um, at least once a year, I would get this infection and I would be on antibiotics. I was on nasal, steroidal nasal sprays for my um, blocked sinuses. I developed skin issues, so I was on antibiotics for that. 
I had skin um, sensitivities in my hands, um, which took, you know, required steroidal cream. So it was just like this endless barrage of, of, you know, medication. And so for 10 years, I was just kind of managing this. And over those 10 years, both my lungs end up collapsing. Um, mm. And I had to get operations in both lungs to staple the holes in them and then fuse them with my, uh, with my chest wall, my chest cavity is a process called pleuridesis. So I have staples in both my lungs. And even then it, it never occurred to me and certainly no doctor told me that, hey, you know, maybe you should evaluate because you know, something about your lifestyle. You're only in your 20s, you're on antibiotics every year, steroids. Now you've had two surgeries, none of that. So I just continued with my life. I was drinking three double espressos a day, by the way. And when I turned 30, um, I discovered I had sleep apnea. I was at Stanford at the time getting my MBA. The doctors there, you know, convinced me that I had to get this surgery because it was so easy. The success rate was so high. I was so young. I had to think about my romantic life if I were to sleep with a, um, a sleeping aid, like a CPAP machine. And I was sold, completely sold. I did the operation um, and it was a catastrophe. It was just a disaster. So I, I, um, I got a jawbone infection. I had to be on two and a half months of intravenous antibiotics oh, um, administered through a PIC line, which is a, a catheter that goes into a heart valve. Oh. Broad spectrum antibiotics, by the way, this is like the, the nuclear option. Um, and uh, I self-administered it, or I'd have to sit in a dialysis clinic for two, three hours a day. I, was, I turned 30 that year, and I celebrated my birthday with this line dangling from my arm for a surgery <laughs> that, by the way, is completely elective. And at the end of it, my sleep apnea was worse because the doctors created so much scar tissue in my airways, um, throat, you know, soft palate, nose, everything that it actually created more blockage. And that to me was the final wake up call of my kind of, you know, health degradation. Um, it, it really kind of opened my eyes and made me realize that, hey, you know what, this is actually abnormal. I'm 30, you know, I don't have any sort of, you know, serious genetic disorders. I don't have any, you know, all of the stuff that I got could have been prevented is what I realized through just healthier lifestyle, a better, you know, supported uh, immune system, um, you know, doing things like exercising, eating better, you know, using the right plants and so on and so forth. And, and I embarked on this journey to learn about these practices um, from the Eastern tradition. So going into traditional Chinese medicine, um, going into Qigong meditation, doing a ton of yoga. I traveled around the world looking for master practitioners in plant medicine and Ayurveda and TCM um, and all the different meditation, uh, you know, yogic Tai Chi practices all over the world. I traveled for like a year um, and continue to now um, to find the best people to learn from. And it just, it completely blew my mind um, and led to this kind of awakening for me. And I realized that so many people are on a similar journey um, and, and could use the knowledge and the experience that I accumulated. And that's what led to the kind of founding of Peak. It was, you know, that experience that led me to, to start this company. And really, you know, we, you know, the things that we do span content as well as products, right? So these are all the things that I benefited from that I know can help other people. Um, and that's what we're trying to spread. So, so how many different varieties of peak tea do you currently have? And can you tell me some of the healing benefits of your most popular? I'm in love with this electric turmeric, by the way. Oh, wow. Yeah. The electric turmeric is our newest. It's phenomenal. Um, it's so we have in total about 23 teas. Um, they're broken down into a couple of categories. Uh, 
the electric turmeric belongs in this kind of herbal elixir um, category. And so in that category is also a chaga, um, which is a, a um, a, like a healing mushroom as well mm-hmm. as reishi. So mm-hmm. these adaptogens, um, these are non-caffeinated herbal teas and they're really meant to provide, um, you know, kind of a deeper level of uh, functional health support. And so the electric turmeric is actually made with a fermented Okinawan turmeric. They ferment it with mango yeast, mangoes that are grown in Okinawa um, and in addition to, to a rice wine that's been made the same way for 300 years. Um, the Okinawans are the, one of the famous groups of um, centenarians. So, so Okinawa is a blue zone, uh, one of the southernmost islands at the um, tip of the, the Japanese island chain. Yes. Um, and they drink, you know, turmeric every day. And so, you know, this is one of the very exotic, very precious ingredients um, that we source for our products. The, the other group of products we have are fasting products. Um, so things that support people that are doing intermittent fasting, um, things that help you manage your um, satiety, so your, your sense of fullness, um, helps you manage your um, cravings, um, which go along with that, and really kind of help support the metabolism, help support your digestion, some of the goals of, um, of fasting. Um, and then we have fermented teas. So we have two fermented teas that are made from 250-year-old tea trees. We have a whole video series where we went to um, visit them, and these are incredible organisms growing symbiotically in these jungles with all these other plants. You have to hack your way through with a machete to get to these trees. That's how they <laughs> harvest them. Oh my gosh. And, you know, you compare that to an industrial farm where, you know, they're having airplanes fly across, you know, dusting everything with pesticides and huge machines going down them, um, you know, harvesting the tea. That's how tea grown in, in South, uh, South Africa is harvested. Um, and so it's just, Light and day, right? You know, in, in the industrial scenarios, you use pesticides, herbicides, kill everything, you know, preserve the cash crop. Of course, that actually makes the cash crop much weaker, right? Because they're completely dependent on, on all the chemicals, on all the fertilizers. They're, they're basically, you know, just um, completely dependent on human intervention. And then you have these trees um, in, in Yunnan province where we, where we source them. It's like, the, the, you know, the, the plants, the, the, the shrubs, all of the, 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 you know, the, the herbs that people don't want, um, they're actually dying and decomposing and adding to, these, the, to the soil richness and uh, biodiversity. And so those are our fermented teas. And of course we have just a huge line of other um, herbal teas, you know, like a ginger digestion elixir, hibiscus beauty elixir. Um, we have a mint tea that's grown in, um, in Oregon uh, and Washington in a very pristine place by a beautiful lake. So every, I mean, we have basically a tea for, for every possible flavor profile for every sort of um, health need. Um, and so really it's just a, a, what we're trying to do is find the universe, um, supply the universe of, you know, highly selected, highly curated, you know, kind of the most precious raw materials out there in, in a tea form. So what impresses me is that you do this triple toxin screening. And I guess I never realized that tea could be a source of mold. How prevalent is that in other tea brands? It's very prevalent. Um, You know, the way that you store tea, if it's too humid, mold will grow. Um, You know, poor teas is actually a type of fermented tea that they deliberately store in very moist, hot conditions, but they control the uh, microbial growth 
for those T's. They, you know, they obviously prevent the growth of pathogens and they promote the growth of, you know, beneficial microbes, otherwise known as probiotics. Um, and so, you know, when the, when, and, and for most other teas that aren't deliberately fermented, they're accidentally fermented because, you know, they're not dried properly. You know, tea leaf is a wet product, so it has to be dried. If it's not dried properly or if it's stored and it gets wet, then mold will develop. Um, heavy metals tend to be very, very common in tea. Which heavy um, metals, the, by the way, which heavy metals are you finding? Um, so lead is a very common one, um, but even the other ones like arsenic, aluminum, um, you know, the, the, the cadmium, um, there are quite a lot of heavy metals in tea. And, and this can actually be, so tea is a very virtuous plant, the tea tree. It actually cleanses a lot of the um, places that it's, um, that it's grown in and it sequesters things out of the earth and purities. But what happens is that it ends up in the leaves. Yes. And so where you source the, um, you know, where you source the teas from are, you know, critical paramount importance. Like our matcha, by the way, one of our very, very popular products, we have something called the sun goddess matcha. Um, it's grown on an island next to Okinawa. So matcha is all from Japan, right? I mean, the yes. best ones are. Yes. Um, Japan happens to be a place where the agricultural land is, is highly efficient, just like everything else in Japan. They, they put the plots of agricultural land very close next to each other. And so when one, one farmer uses pesticides, the wind will just sweep it across everything. And so you have massive, massive pesticide drift problems. That's why there isn't a whole lot of um, organic matcha from Japan. It's very rare. Um, we happen to have a source that's next to Okinawa on an island. And again, at the southernmost part of the Japanese island chain is like this long, skinny chain of islands. Um, and it was it's next to Japan's first national park. And it's in a mountainous region. So you don't have close, you know, agricultural plots next to each other. You can't. Um, because of its altitude, it's cooler and, and pests naturally don't like cooler weather high, in high altitudes. So there's a, a far lower pest. The only thing that they do to control pests where our matcha is grown is they pluck the baby leaves um, to either make tea with or to just decompose it. The pests like to eat the little soft baby leaves and so they just get rid of it or they turn it into tea and the pests go away. So no pesticides, it's totally organic. And of course, in a, in a very clean, pristine place like that next to Japan's first national park, uh, in fact, it's next to a volcano, there, there's, you're not going to find a lot of industrial pollution. So the heavy metal problem goes away also. Interesting. What about the radiation problem? I keep thinking yeah. about Fukushima, and I know many of my clients have stared away from any probiotics that have been sourced from Japan and so forth. Do you actually test the radiation byproducts or the... Uh, yes. Ah, yes. that's, that's yeah. a million dollar question. I wasn't going to yeah. blindside you, but I, but I did and I got the right answer. <laughs> Yeah, we, we actually test for radioactive isotopes, both for the electric turmeric and the um, sun goddess matcha. And, and that's something that I'm greatly concerned about as well, as you can imagine. Um, do you find that in other products? Do you actually test other products to see how toxic they are? We no, don't test for... Yeah, go ahead. Well, most people aren't aware of the radioactive isotopes. Most people are not mm -hmm. aware of the radiation that permeates the world. I'm aware of it because I learned about it way back in the 1970s uh, with a teacher that worked with the, the boys that, that, that detonated the first atom bomb in this country in, in the Los Alamos oh, region. So yeah. it's an, an issue that I've written about that I'm very aware of, and I'm just delighted that you'd actually test for it. But I'm just curious to know if you think that the, these other T's could be bioaccumulators of the radiation, the radioactive isotopes as well. 
Yeah, yeah. So we, we have tested all the products from Japan for radioactive isotopes and, and do so continuously. Um, we have not done so for products from other, from other, you know, countries that haven't had any sort of radioactive testing, you know, any sort of nuclear, you know, testing or disasters. But that's a very good idea. It's something that we ought to look into. So what's, so what you, you've got, did you say 23 varieties of tea at this point? Yes, yes. And what's on the, what's on the drawing board for 2021? You know, we continue to want to launch um, teas at a higher level um, of purity. Believe it or not, that's actually possible. Um, the way things are grown, I'm very, very fascinated by the biodynamic uh, method of cultivation. Uh, some of the most expensive wines in the world are, are grown biodynamically from Burgundy. Um, and, and this is a, a method of agriculture that is a 300 year old process um, that really kind of takes um, it, it takes it takes heed and, and it pays attention to the kind of cycles of the of the the, the lunar cycles. If you, if you look at the farmer's almanac, um, the way farmers used to farm and harvest and plant according to the seasonal cycles, um, there's the belief, and and you can, this is demonstrated in wine that you know the timing of these things. Um, based on based on lunar cycles and, and cosmic cycles actually has a great deal of impact um, on the quality of the product. Um, and, you know, for those of you who have been hobby hobbyist farmers at home during lockdown, if you try to plant, you know, tomatoes now, or you try to plant something that is non, if you try to plant peaches now, or, or it just doesn't work. Now, of course, we've come up with very sophisticated methods to to overcome that with greenhouse growing and with chemicals and artificial lighting and all that stuff. Um, and, and obviously genetic modified goods, but that's not the natural cycle. Um, and so based on my experience with with wines, I've noticed that it, it's dramatically improved quality. Um, and so that's an area that we're looking at. Um, you know, it, I think that we might be a ways from people fully appreciating the value of biodynamic teas. Um, but it's certainly something as a personal passion, something that I'm very, very keen and interested in. And of course, we continue to address all the pain points that our customers report to us. Um, we're constantly being recommended herbs and plants and different things that our customers like to use or different health ailments um, that they'd like to support with. Um, and so, you know, that's largely kind of what guides our, our development process. And I was thinking in that regard that I want to be in touch with you with an environmental tea. My teacher in the in the 70s, I, t I studied with her starting in 1974. She lived to the age of 106, by the way, Simon. Oh, wow. So she was a, an extraordinary woman. She was the um, kind of consummate first lady of nutrition from which I've, oh, wow. I've kind of taken that, that nomenclature, so to speak. But my point being is that she developed a tea called environmental tea. Is that something you're interested in pursuing? I have some of the ingredients. Absolutely. I, I would love, love that. to learn more about that. Yeah. I love that idea. It's an environmental mm -hmm. tea. She had a radiation tea. All that I think wow. is important for people that undergo x-rays or CAT scans or even are exposed to so much EMFs in the environment. But I want to move the discussion over to coffee. We represent a coffee company. I'm, I'm honored to represent Purity Coffee, which is an, uh, a kind of high antioxidant, mm -hmm. very similar to your company, quite frankly. And they pride themselves on being a mold-free variety of coffee. So right. what is your take on coffee versus tea in general terms? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the saying goes everything in moderation, or, or at least, you know, in this day and age, you can't say everything because there's so many toxic things. But, you know, everything within reason in, in, in moderation or everything natural in moderation, I think is great. Um, and I think that's one of the, the, the issues with coffee is that moderation um, tends to go out the window, um, as well as the method of, of consumption of it. Um, you know, the, the things that people put in it also tends to lead to, you know, unhealthy outcomes. If you look at some of the products, the top selling products in, in coffee chains, those are, you know, more like desserts um, disguised as, as, as kind of coffees than, than anything else. Um, but as far as the, the kind of the amount goes, there's no question um, that the caffeine in coffee has a faster onset. And is and is higher in in um, in in levels, right? So there's more caffeine in a cup of coffee, and there is than than some teas, not all teas, um, and and it also has a much faster onset. Um, and I think those two things, combined with the fact that tea also has L-theanine in it, which is a natural relaxant, um, is is what kind of for me the starkest differences between these two types of caffeine alternatives, right? And so if you compare the kind of energy profile from a coffee, you tend to have a surge after you drink it. And then after that, it can drop off very quickly as the caffeine is metabolized in your system um, and, and basically disappears. And, and so that, that drop off, you know, it could be, you know, in some cases can be a cliff, right? And that leads to unhealthy responses in your body, such as a sugar craving, um, such as the craving for more coffee. And so whether you satisfy this with, with another cup of coffee or with sugar, um, either one of those tends to, you know, basically give you more caffeine through, through the day, right? Or, or more kind of, you know, sugar field energy through the day, which can then impact, you know, your, your rest quality and your sleep quality. Um, and, and there's something else here, which is, I think that a surge in caffeine naturally takes you, you know, as a meditator, I think it takes you out of your center. Um, it takes you out of your calm zone and, you know, a, a level headed, a calm head, a cool head, no matter what you do, even if you're a, a you know, a, a business executive or, you know, you're, you're a parent or you're, um, you know, a health hero, having a, a cool level head throughout the day is generally something that I think, you know, everybody recognizes as, as, as desirable, right? <laughs> and so, you know, tea, on the other hand, um, the caffeine is released over time. It actually has a time release effect because the caffeine um, compounds in tea, the caffeine molecules are actually bound to the catechin molecules forming a much bigger compound. And catechins are basically the, the polyphenols or the antioxidants that are in tea. So imagine this caffeine being bound to this antioxidant in a bigger compound. It actually takes longer for your body to metabolize and break down and release that caffeine into your system, which is why tea has a much slower onset and lasts longer. Right. And so you have a level amount of caffeine and then you throw in the L-theanine, which is the, the only place is found in, in the world, by the way, is tea on a mm. natural basis. Mm. You throw in the L-theanine, which is this relaxant, and you have this very kind of cool, calm, relaxing energy that lasts long. You know, I was thinking, is there such a thing as a decaffeinated tea? Is there something that you offer for those that are extraordinarily sensitive to caffeine? Well, we offer a huge range of herbal um, teas that are not made from the tea leaf. Um, you know, people looking for the polyphenol profile of a tea, but don't want to drink tea should try our rooibos. So rooibos is a South African, you know, bush plant. Um, it, it's, it's very, it's very a red tea. Am I correct? 
Exactly. It's a red tea, but it's actually not made from Camellia sinensis, which is from the tea species, the tea tree. Uh, but it's high in polyphenols. It's very low in tannins. Um, it's, it's, you know, very, very soothing to the stomach. And, you know, you get the polyphenols you need. The reason that we've resisted making a caffeinated tea, uh, sorry, a decaf tea is because it, it denatures both the flavor. So the flavor is suboptimal, but it also takes away from, you know, the, the, the sequence or, or the cocktail of compounds that nature intended for this plant. And so not only does it satisfy, does it, you know, not satisfy our, our kind of taste, you know, standards It also for us is kind of this denaturing of, of a plant. Um, and, and I don't think there's any good studies on, you know, what the prolonged, you know, drinking of decaffeinated tea does to you, but, you know, we just don't believe in, in adulteration um, when, when nature has other solutions like Roybus. Very interesting. Now I'm looking at the flavor profile of my electric turmeric, which I've become very addicted to. And one right. thing I noticed that I need to discuss with you is that you're very specific about where you get your cinnamon. It's organic Ceylon cinnamon. Why is that Ceylon cinnamon different than other cinnamons? Yes, yeah, so the cinnamon, um, you know, there, there's cassia cinnamon, which is from China, and then there's Ceylon cinnamon from Sri Lanka. Um, we've tried both before. Generally, in the TC, in the traditional Chinese medicine, you know, kind of universe, obviously that the cassia cinnamon is used. Um, some people just don't like it, and it's not so much an anti-China thing. Is that they they think that it leads to, um, you know, it it doesn't have the same desired health benefits that cinnamon have has been come to be recognized for. Um, or has rather become popularized for um, in, in America um, and also has some, um, you know, some of the downside. And so, you know, we switched to Salon Simon and really just out of popular demand, to be honest. And, and actually, it has a slightly sweeter profile, so it works better in our formulation as well. And interestingly enough, from the research that I've done, because I've written about cinnamon for ages coming from a diabetic mm -hmm. background, and it yes. being so important in modifying blood sugar is that there's an element in the other types of cinnamon which are very toxic to the liver. And because cinnamon has become so popular, the Ceylon cinnamon is much more uh, appropriate. So I was just delighted that you identified that on your, yes, on your label. Yes, yes, exactly. A lot of it has to do with the, the level of consumption as well. You know, as, as cinnamon has grown in popularity, it's consumed in, in far greater amounts than was the case traditionally, right? Um, you know, Very in Sri Lanka, true. you throw some cinnamon into, you know, a curry and, you know, it's, you don't eat it every day, or maybe you eat it every day. But, you know, in China, the cassia cinnamon was used as a medicine, which definitely wasn't eaten every day. And it doesn't feature into the, the, the cuisine, the Chinese cuisine, uh, uh, you know, regularly at all. So is there a tea drinking protocol that you recommend? In other yes. words, more is better, less is more. No, in this case, more is better. Yes, more is yes. better than less. And, and what, what, is, what is that in general terms? Yes, I'm so glad you asked because I think this is one of the most, you know, easily addressable misconceptions about tea. Um, everybody knows tea is good for you. There's very few people don't realize that. I mean, tea is one of the most studied superfoods. In fact, it's probably the most studied superfood under the sun, just given that, you know, it's the second most consumed beverage in the world after water. Um, not in the U.S., but everywhere else is the case. Um, so you can imagine the number of studies that have been done on it. The problem with, I think, U.S. tea consumption is that most people don't realize how much you need to drink in order to feel the effects of it. That's the first thing. And then the second thing is like the quality, you know, if you're drinking a, you know, a free tea bag from a, 
from a motel, you're not going to get the same benefits as you would, um, you know, otherwise, right? If you drink the iced tea that's free in a in a in a in a in a diner, um, that's made with a with a you know basically it's a I don't even know what it's made of, frankly, but it's not going to deliver the same benefits um, as drinking a whole leaf tea or a peak tea crystal. Um, but with that said, the the amount addressing the kind of, you know, having talked about the quality, the quantity that you need to drink. And this is something that the Harvard School of Public Health references in their nutrition source website, which is kind of my go-to for, you know, not just peer reviewed, but, you know, large cohort longitudinal studies that span decades. I mean, they're kind of like the gold standard for advising, um, you know, governments um, on their on their food policy for, you know, the governments that are willing to listen at least. Um, and so, you know, they have a recommendation and this is after sifting through, you know, probably hundreds of different, um, you know, of the highest quality peer reviewed longitudinal cohort studies. Um, uh, they've, they've, the recommendation is that they've observed that at least three or more cups of tea is recommended. Three right, or, to experience. So say that again. So that's three or three. more cups three or more cups is recommended a day to experience the health benefits that are observed in these studies. Interesting. Right? So that's significantly more than I think what most people are drinking. Very now, much when you so. go to very much so. So when you go to, to a place like Japan or you go to Hong Kong or to Taiwan or even the middle East, uh, you know, the, the minute in Japan, the minute you step into a restaurant, you're given a cup of tea. The minute you step into somebody's home, you're given a cup of tea. The minute you arrive in your in Hong Kong, the minute you set foot in your office, there's a tea lady or a tea gentleman um, that comes and fills your cup with tea the minute you sit down. And that's done a couple times during the day. And this is tea, by the way, made with fresh, loose leaf, like high quality stuff. And then, of course, you leave your work, you go to a restaurant, there's tea there. You, you know, it's just that's the culture. And so these people are drinking, you know, easily three or more cups of tea a day. You know, they're probably drinking 10 cups of tea a day. If you've been to Japan, you look at the vending machines, half of the stuff inside is all tea. And that's high quality bottled tea. And that's like on every single street corner you can find those vending machines. They're amazing. Um, and so the tea drinking, the, the quantity is, is much higher. And that's kind of one of the reasons we're trying to make it easy for people to drink this is like, hey, if you truly have no time, no one has time these days, you know, take two sticks, you throw it in your water bottle can be cold. So, you know, many of our teas dissolve in cold water and, and you're done. That's it. Brilliant. Just drink that instead of water. So my next question is the age group. Can you actually give any of these teas to infants or toddlers or young children? Yeah. So we generally don't make recommendations for toddlers and infants. I'm thinking um, of the colicky babies, for example. Yeah, we, we definitely don't make those sorts of recommendations just because the, the, the situations vary so much. Um, and, you know, that, that I think it really warrants having a health professional doctor, integrated medicine, um, you know, specialist and, and so on to, to help advise in those specific situations, right? And we have so many different plants. You know, one of our teas could have four different plants in it. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, it's something certainly that I don't, you know, try to try to you know, comment about, but, it, you know, I grew up not drinking any soda because, you know, tea was, was part of the, the, the culture. It was a, a family tradition. My grandfather, by the way, he actually turns 107 this year. Oh, God bless he, him. Yeah. He's been drinking, you know, you know, at least 10 cups of tea a day for his, you know, for God knows how long. But one of the things we did after lunch you know, he preferred lunches, we'd always just go and stand, he has a standing table. So it's like a bar table, you know, one of those bar tops. 
And he stands there after lunch and he brews his tea and he interacts with his whole family. And he just stands there for like two hours brewing <laughs> his tea and sharing it with people Lovely. and chit-chatting. Every single lunch he would do this. Um, so you're, I'm, I'm interested in your personal background. I understand that you're a graduate of Harvard and Stanford. When did you come to this country? So I came in my teens um, for high school and then stayed through college. And then after that, I went back to Asia for about five years. Um, no, it was for a long. I, I was back in Asia for about eight years. Um, during that time, I lived in Hong Kong. I lived in Shanghai. I lived in Beijing for a year, spent time in Singapore, and then came back in 2007 to, um, to, to, to you know, get my MBA at, at Stanford. And then I was here till 2009. Um, and then after that, I returned to Asia for some time, and then I moved back here in 2014, and have been here since. So I really, really, actually spent. You know, the, 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 I always think about this because I'm really split evenly between the two, the two hemispheres of the world, the East and, and the West. And um, you know, every year that goes by is actually one more year that I would have spent in in the West. And you know, I just love the perspective that it gives me. So can people use tea in cooking? In other words, to use tea as a steaming element and so forth? Yes, yes, they're beautiful dishes that are made with tea. We, well, we have a, um, a huge recipe book um, that's circulating either on our blog or our website or in our Facebook group. It's, I think there are like 80 recipes in it and you'll find a lot of them in our, in our Instagram of all the things that can be done with, um, with peak tea. So, you know, obviously like tons of different types of beverages, but I think people have baked with it. They've made ice creams with it. They have done um, oatmeal with it, uh, you know, all sorts of things, overnight oats. Um, and, and traditionally the usage of tea in dishes is a wonderful thing to do. So there are a couple that I can think of. One, smoking things with tea is incredible. And you get this at, you know, a lot of these kind of, you know, Michelin restaurants, they'll use tea leaves and smoke some duck, you know, you, you put, you know, and, and by the way, any tea leaf will do, um, you know, you mix it with some, with some, I think they put some, you know, they can put different herbs in it. So people like to put cloves and, and whatnot, but you can do a little mixture and smoke your meats with it, smoke your fish with it. Very, very delicate, very lovely, amazing. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course you can also boil them and some of the more tender tea leaves, um, you know, like a dragon well tea is only made with the tips, you know, the most tender tips. So when you chew them, they're not so chewy. Those used in a stir fry um, are incredible. You know, people used to still do um, stir fry um, shrimp with dragon well tea leaves. That's wonderful also. Interesting, interesting. And you'll be getting a ton of antioxidants and polyphenols that you're, that you're mm -hmm. not getting from any other foods. Absolutely. So in closing, if you were to name your three favorite teas, what would they be, Simon? Yeah, so the ones that I drink every day would yes. be the, the fermented green tea, um, the fermented black tea, so both the poor teas, and the, and, and, well, I guess there are four, and the electric turmeric, mm. um, <laughs> yeah, and, the, um, and, the, and the ginger digestion elixir. Uh, and this is a very personal thing, by the way, um, you know, some teas suit different, you know, body compositions um, more. And so we have a whole, um, you know, body uh, composition or body balance um, quiz that we just launched. But 
you know, I, I, I don't do as well with the green teas because I'm naturally um, have a cold disposition. And so I get even cooler and I get stomach problems if I drink too much of the matcha, especially on an empty stomach. But, you know, some people are naturally hotter and warmer and they just can't handle drinking ginger, right? It just makes them sweat. It gives, makes them go nuts. Interesting. And so, yeah, drinking tea according to your body type is, um, is, is definitely a good thing to do. So the body types, is that based on traditional Chinese medicine or Ayurvedic medicine? How do you... Exactly. Yeah, it's based on both of those. Um, it's based on Ayurvedic, because we do have a, a bunch of Ayurvedic, um, you know, uh, products, right? So it's, it's actually based on, 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 the, on both disciplines. How fascinating. So tea for two. And what about your family? What is your wife's favorite tea? She loves the um, fermented black puar tea. It helps her with her digestion. And so, you know, she, she, you know, she used to be, you know, less regular um, with her kind of toilet schedule than she is now. And, um, you know, having, and, and, you know, funny, funnily enough, eating a lot of raw greens um, is not so great for her stomach. She, you know, kind of cooked greens are much better for her. Um, and, and, and so, you know, for her drinking that, that black fermented pour is, is just like, she can't go through a day without, uh, I mean, it would significantly affect her, her toilet schedule if she didn't have one, let's put it that way. Well, what I love about your tea is that it's triple toxin screen. So I just want to review that with people. So you check for heavy metals, for pesticides and toxic mold. It's highly accessible, very concentrated in antioxidants. Is there something new we can look forward to in the years to come from Simon? Uh, we have lots in the works, actually. Um, I can't really share too much about it. Um, but come um, February, there will be some very, very exciting news from us. Well, on that note, I'm going to say thank you so much for being my guest today on the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And I want to remind my listeners that this episode was sponsored by Unikey Health Products, my go-to products for health, for healing, for detox, and for all women's and men's health issues. So I want to thank my my privileged guest here, my honored guest that I'd like to acknowledge once again, Simon Chang for devoting his life to the peak tea crystals, which are the purest on the planet. I want to thank you again and invite everybody to visit peaktea.com. This is Anne Louise Gittleman saying goodbye, good luck, and lots of love. Mm -hmm.